Isaiah that God is looking for, and then there's an Isaiah that's the reality. Uh, or I'm sorry, an Israel. Israel that God's looking for, and an Israel that's a reality. And how do those two uh, become what they're supposed to be? How does Israel become the Israel God sees that it can be? And so we are introduced to Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah the prophet comes face to face with the same deal. There's the Isaiah that should be, and there's the Isaiah who is. In Isaiah chapter 6, you remember, it's the chapter where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And Isaiah said before God, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a mess. What am I going to do? I'm standing before holy God. And God purged his sin. And when God purged his sin, he gives us an illustration of something he's going to accomplish for the nation Israel. And Israel, throughout their existence, is struggling with this idea of why are all these things, why do all these bad things happen to us? Why, why, why do we get into trouble all the time? And so God would send his prophets, and his prophets would come to Israel and say, look, the problem is your sin. And you need to repent of your sin and return to the Lord. And over and over again, Israel would attempt, they'd have a period of time where they would repent walk the way God wanted them to walk, but then they would fall back into error again. So we have this description laid out for us of a nation that's in need of the same kind of change God did to Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah 51, God starts to describe a little bit about how that's going to take place. In Isaiah 50, we saw the second time the servant of the Lord, or Messiah, is being prophesied. That one day, Messiah, a deliverer, is coming. A deliverer. Now, the people have a tendency of focusing on the delivery from the problems they have now. But in Isaiah 51, the Lord's going to say, No, you need delivered from yourself. You need delivered from your sin. You need delivered from things you don't even recognize are a problem in your life. And that is what Isaiah the prophet is going to be speaking to the nation about in Isaiah 51. So he says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. He's telling Israel, I want you to think back about your history. Because one of the things we can find when we think back about our history, we can see more clearly the fingerprints of God. God moving, shaping, working, watching over us. And so he's challenging them. It's a message to the remnant, right? Because the Bible Isaiah also told us no one seeks after God. So the, the heart that seeks after God is a heart that's already turned toward him. That is a, a person who was described in Isaiah 50 verse 10 as one who would listen to his servant. You remember last time we talked about the prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 where Moses said, the Lord's going to give you a prophet like me, a deliverer. And you need to listen to everything he says. It's a, it's a description, a prophecy of the coming of Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus comes, uh, Moses is saying, hey, you, you need to listen to everything he says. In Isaiah 50, 10, those who listen to God's servant, the Messiah, uh, are marked by the fear of the Lord. They're those who are walking in the fear of the Lord. Here 
in verse 1, you have those people described as those who pursue righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. It's pursuing the righteousness of God, which is in a person. The Bible says that, that the Lord would be called Yahweh Tiskanu. Yahweh Tiskanu means the Lord is my righteousness. He's my righteousness, not me. It's not my conjuring up my own righteousness. It's me being covered in His. And so there's this pursuit. You who pursue, you who seek after the Lord, look back in your life and see those fingerprints of God. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So he says, look back. He takes them back. Over and over again, you see in the scripture, God taking the nation back to a history lesson. And it's important for us to remember the blessings of God in our life. The times when we didn't deserve the favor of God, but the favor of God was there. Times when we didn't deserve his grace, but the grace of God was there. Times when we maybe were not uh, pursuing him as we ought. Yet God still was there calling us. He says, I called Abraham. He was one person. After the Exodus, you know, some estimates put the children of Israel over a million. That's a lot. That's a big growth, right? God says, I made a nation from him. The other side, the flip side of what's being described is the reality that those who are hard-hearted, who are not part of the remnant, they don't seek righteousness. They don't seek after the Lord. They don't care. They're looking for something else. Busy searching for something else. And so he's, the Lord is saying, look, I, I'm going to show you a map to the restoration, the rebirth of the nation of Israel, like the rebirth of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And so he says, I want you to, to be those, not only who seek after righteousness, but I want you to be those who rely on the Lord for everything. In verse 3, he says, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of a song. In Revelation, I shared with you guys last time, one of my favorite verses in Revelation is where Jesus is sitting on the throne and he declares, See, I make all things new. And here you have the Lord saying, Zion. Zion's a word like uh, to describe Israel as she ought to be. Zion was the mountain of the Lord and God lived at the top. So the idea is when the children of Israel, when he's describing Zion, he's looking at that new Jerusalem. He's looking at that purged and perfected nation. And so he says, hey, I'm going to comfort Zion. He's the one who is going to heal the waste places, the broken parts. And he's going to make the wilderness. The word wilderness in the Bible is the word for desert. I'm going to make your desert like Eden. Like Eden was beautiful, perfect. So not only is he going to comfort and make all things new, he's also going to bring them to the place of the source of joy. That's what he says. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Now, when Isaiah is talking about this, the people are full of fear. We keep hearing that, that Babylon's going to come after us. We're going to go through a period of time called the exile. We're, we're, we're finding ourselves under the judgment of God. 
But the Lord in the midst of all that is saying, yeah, but one day I'm going to make joy be found in her. I'm going to bring thanksgiving in the voice of a song. And some would experience it. Some of the children who go into captivity are going to leave Babylon rejoicing, coming back to to Jerusalem. And that is a small picture of the ultimate fulfillment when the whole nation sees her Messiah. Verse 4, he wants them to respond to God's justice. So look what he says, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for light to the peoples. Now that word peoples is not the word for Gentiles. It's not the Gentiles. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about peoples, people within the same family. He's saying, look, give attention. He wants them as a nation to love his justice. But to love his justice, the people have to be able to look at God and say, you're right. We've been disobedient. You ever try to discipline a child who doesn't want discipline? The key to making discipline work is to bring uh, a child or a person to submit to that discipline. To say, you're right. I'm wrong. You, you, this is right discipline. It's what the Lord is challenging Israel. You want to become the Israel you can be. You want to become all that you can be in the Lord. There's only one way to do it. You got to be able to look to the Lord and say, I'm a mess and I need you. Not, I got it all figured out, God, I'm pretty good. And uh, you really get a great deal when you get a hold of me. So he's saying, listen, I want you to hearken unto me, give attention, give an ear, for the law will go out from me. The, the, the exile is just. God's punishment on the nation is just. And he's saying, I am setting my justice as a light, not to the nations, to you. It's a light to you. Every time in my life the Lord has had to discipline me, it's been a light for me. Open my eyes and say, you're right, Lord. You're right. I'm wrong. And part of him being Lord is me not being. Meaning I, I accept. I accept what is coming. I accept what needs to be happening in my life. Look what he says then. From the place of responding to God's justice, which is in our, in our uh, new covenant thinking, we would say repentance, right? Repentance is saying, you're right, Lord. Your justice is right. Your requirement is right. I'm broken. Repentance, Lord, looking for forgiveness, then what comes? Salvation. We're looking at verse 5. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. Again, that's the same word for the nation of Israel, all people of one family. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. So you have the nation of Israel and the promise of salvation to them. And he begins with this idea. My salvation draws near. Who's, he's talking about a person. My salvation draws near. He's talking about Messiah. The birth of Christ. My salvation or my righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. Again, his servant is his salvation. 
And my arm will judge the peoples of Israel. Israel will be judged. Justice will prevail. Mercy will reign. There will be a remnant there, just like there always is in all peoples. There are those who respond to the truth of the gospel, and there are those who do not. Those who do not respond, Scripture would call reprobate, the lost, and they experience justice. And then you have the elect, and they experience mercy or grace. The point is the Lord is sending these things out. And this justice will come on Israel. And when it comes on Israel, He says, I want you to know, Israel, as you're going through these things, as the nation is learning these lessons and giving birth to the hope of Messiah, as those things are taking place, the coastlands, the furthest reaches of earth, as far as they could imagine. In the ancient world, the world wasn't as big as it is today. So the way they would describe the ends of the earth was the coastlands. Those people who are beyond the sea. We don't travel to sea. Sea's full of scary things. But those people beyond the sea, the scripture says, they hope for me. They hope for me. And for my arm, they wait. We recognize that all of mankind is looking for a ruler who is able to rule in justice. And in order to rule in justice, they must also have power. What kind of power? Mankind has tried lots of ways. Tyrannical power, right? Like if I just, if everybody just has to obey my voice or they die, then we can have justice. But we found that power corrupts. So we clamor and we look. So what kind of power? The truth of God has been trying to tell the people of Israel the kind of power that they need. And he describes it in Isaiah. You need the power of self-denial. You need the power of self-sacrifice. You need the power of innocence. That means not being guilty before the law. You need the power of faithfulness. Someone who is faithful. You need the power of holy love. This is the power that the whole world longs to see and doesn't even know it. The Bible says in Romans that all of creation groans for the revealing of the children of God. Everywhere you look, since Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I had a dream and I need somebody to tell me what it means. You guys remember? And so all the wise men come and say, well, tell us a dream. We'll tell you what it means. And he said, no, if you're real, you tell me the dream and what it means. And they said, no, nobody's ever asked us to do such a thing as that. That's this crazy. Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't care. If you can't figure it out, I'm chopping off all the heads of the wise men, starting over with stupid people. So the wise men are all panicking. Daniel hears about it. He prays. God gives him the dream and the vision. He dreamed a dream about all the kingdoms of men. And all the kingdoms of men had one thing in common. They all fall down. But in the time of the fourth kingdom, in the time of the fourth kingdom, the Messiah would come. In the days of the fourth kingdom, as the fourth kingdom was waning, 
Messiah would come. We have the head of gold, Babylon, chest of silver, that's uh, Greek. Uh, then you have, or I'm sorry, Medo-Persian. Then you have the Greeks, the bronze. And then you have iron, Rome. And then you have feet, iron mixed with clay, right? Starting to weaken a stone from the heavens, not cut out by hand. Strikes it in the feet. The whole thing dissolves and that little stone grows into a mountain which fills the whole earth. Daniel says, the Lord God has told you all the kingdoms of men are going to fail. The kingdom of God is forever. You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. You remember Nebuchadnezzar thought more of himself, so he built a statue made of gold, right? And told everybody to bow down. And we know how that goes. But what that illustration depicts is the downward spiral of all the kingdoms of men all the kingdoms of men they they do the same thing they they choke on their own desire for power they fail to be just and merciful all of them they all have that in common they all are just like israel in the book of isaiah which is to say they're broken but they need to be whole. They're unrighteous, but they need to be righteous. They, they need to, there's something missing in the nation that equips that nation to become the people that are governed by God. And that's all pointing toward Messiah. Because He's going to restore you from yourself, from your sin from your struggles. You see, the scripture lays out for us here in Isaiah 51 5, my arms will judge the peoples. For my arm they wait. Throughout scripture, the arm of the Lord is a metaphor for Messiah, the one who's going to come and deliver the people, the one who's going to set you free. Isaiah 33 2 says, O Lord, Be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning. Our salvation in the time of trouble. They they describe the salvation of God as the arm of the Lord. Isaiah 50 verse 2. Why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for the lack of water and die of thirst. Is my hand short? Am I not able to save? Isaiah 51, 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 53, verse 1. So who has believed what he heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Arm of the Lord is synonymous with the Messiah who will come with the power that the world needs. Who will come with the ability to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own who will come with the ability to restore mankind to where he was before the fall. To redeem. 
to help us become what we need to be. Not who we are, but who God is calling us to be. He is the key. And His salvation and His righteousness are not passing away. They're eternal. Look what it says, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to heaven and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. And the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will never be dismayed. Heaven and earth are passing away, right? So are we. We are growing old and and eventually dying. That is the one thing we all have in common. But he says, my salvation, it doesn't pass away. My righteousness will never be dismayed. So in verse 7 he says, So listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Jeremiah 31, the Lord said, I'm going to write my law upon your heart. A law, statutes, these are all synonymous terms with God's Word. The Word of God. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, is all about the Word of God. It's called the law, the statutes. Uh, There's two more. I'll give you a test later. Since I'm not passing it right now. It'll come to me sometime though. All of them describing the word of God. Right? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is what God's word is calling us to. So, he says, listen to me, you who are righteous, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Don't be afraid of what man can do. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. So God's saying, my my righteousness, my salvation will not pass away. He's calling to a people who has the word of God in their heart. Telling them, don't be afraid of what man can do, because one day God's going to put down evil once and for all. The moth will eat it. The worm will eat it. And now he wants them to know. He wants them to recognize where their error is. And sometimes where our error lies as well. Listen to verse 9. It says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. It's the people crying out to God saying, where have you been? Wake up. Wake up. Bad stuff's happening in my life. Wake up. My life is hard. Wake up. I'm struggling. Wake up. God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you, Lord? Wasn't it you who cut Rahab in pieces? Rahab is a term. It means the twisting serpent. Rahab is a term used of both Babylon and Egypt. It is an illustration that they would have understood in their day. For them, the twisting serpent is the same as Leviathan or Behemoth. When the Bible talks about those things, it's not talking about dinosaurs. It's talking about chaos. The chaos monster which which had to be tamed by God in order for creation to take place. That was how they all talked about the chaos monster. And what they're saying is, 
Wake up, O arm of the Lord, like you did in the beginning when you tamed chaos and created the universe. But where have you been lately? That's what they're saying. Where are you now? Uh, there's an acknowledgement of the reality that, that God was there, that He was a part of that creation. Was it not you who dried up the sea? What are they referring to? The Red Sea and the crossing of the children of Israel, the waters of the great depth. Uh, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So they're crying out, God, wake up, where are you? God, wake up, where are you? And then they're saying, where, you were with us before. We saw your hand work in might and power in times past. And we're hoping that you're still there, that you're still going to move, that you'll awaken and help us so that the ransomed of the Lord, those already bought, can return to the land. So God wants them to know, look, um, I've been awake. We're going to build on that idea in a moment. I have never been asleep. And I need to release you from bondage. You're all bound up and you don't even know it. Which is why when you look at these things going on in your life, these struggles that you have, they're declaring that you need a Savior. He says in verse 12, I, I am He who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the Son of Man who's made like grass? So He says, listen, don't fear man. They made you a slave. So what? What are you afraid of? Then be a slave. Whatever's going on, that's, that's not the end. Nor is it the end all. We have lots of end alls, right? Lord, if you don't appear right now, it's the ninth inning, two outs, full count, this is the last pitch. Lord, you got to show up. And God's like, why are you worried about this? Don't be afraid of this. Don't not fear what man can do. And then in verse 13, he says, and do not forget who God is. He says in verse 13, don't be afraid of man who dies or the son of man who's made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor. Why are you worried about Babylon? Are you worried about Assyria? Are you worried about this? Are you worried about that? You fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? So where is this this horrible thing that's coming upon you? God's already delivered them from the Assyrians, you remember, in chapter 38. Babylon hasn't come yet. So his challenge to them, don't forget who God is. He's the one who raises up kings and brings down kingdoms, right? So if exile is in our future, then exile is in our future. That's how it's intended to be. The important thing he tells us in verse 14, but you still got to trust in me. Trust me. Trust me that whatever is over that hill is for your good. 
and God's glory. Trust me that I will give you what you need to carry through. Verse 14, he who is bowed down shall speedily be released. Shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. Trust in me. I got you. Even though they they make you bow down. See, when Babylon comes, the problem is the people of Isaiah's time had grown dull of hearing about the things Isaiah was saying. And the next guy on the scene after Isaiah is a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah comes in and says, hey, it's time for us to go to exile. This is what Isaiah the prophet was talking about. God says, lay down your swords and go in peace and go into the exile and live. But if you fight, you're all going to die. And they kept fighting. Because they would not submit to what God had declared. And God's saying here in verse 14, But he who is bowed down will be speedily released. He who submits. I always say this is what I did with my kids with discipline. It was never about the whooping. It was about putting your hands on the couch and, and assuming the position. You've done wrong. You know you've done wrong. Here's what's going to happen. But you are going to submit to it. If you don't, I will make you submit to it. But you will submit to it. And that's a good thing they learn. Still a part of their lives today. That we submit to authority. That's what happens. That's how this works. So we bow down and will be released speedily. You will not die and go down to the pit. The pit was the abuso. It was the abode of the dead. The word for the grave. You're not going to die. You're not going to starve. Your bread will not be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Yahweh Sabaoth is His name. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of the angel armies. He said, trust in me. Trust me. Bow down. Trust me. That's why the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because the humble will bow. And the proud doesn't want to bow to anybody. But the Bible says God will make you, right? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will bow. You get to choose now. There will be a day you won't get to choose. God will say bow and it will happen. So he's calling for them to trust in the Lord. And then he wants to describe this relationship with him. Verse 16, he says, And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, You are my people. God is speaking of His servant. And He's saying of this servant that is coming, I put my words in your mouth. What did Jesus say? What does He say? I only speak the things what the Father told me to say. I only do the things what the Father told me to do. He says, I've put words in your mouth and I've hidden you in the shadow. Right? So you have these these, uh, shadowy uh, illustrations throughout the Old Testament of the coming of Messiah. For what purpose? What is he establishing? He's saying to Zion, you are my people. Where did he send Messiah? 
Where was he born? Israel. Who did he come to first? Israel. Right? He came to them. He's saying, look, you are my people. I'm sending Messiah. He's going to come through you, to you, and to all the nations. He's coming to establish these things. But then... In this next part from 17, he's, he's going to talk about the condition of Israel at the time. Remember earlier they were saying, wake up, wake up, Lord, where have you been? Well, look at verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself and stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, and have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. He's saying, you guys are drunk on the justice of God and on God's wrath because within your nature, you do not have what is needed to keep the law. So there is one coming who will keep the law, establish it. And through him, we keep because we're clothed in him, in Jesus Christ, the keeper of the law of God. Listen to what he says. He says, you're drunk. You're staggering. You're on the ground. Not because of your enemies. Because of the justice of God. Because the soul that sins shall die. That's God's law. The soul that sins shall die. If you break one, you are guilty of all. So if you break one, you're guilty of all. You cannot keep any. But there is one who did. Who by faith we find ourselves clothed in, covered by. The picture of the mercy seat. When we look at the Ark of the Covenant, guys, the Ark of the Covenant, the tablets of stone were placed on the inside. What's so important about that? Well, the tablets of stone that are placed on the inside are, are the the significance of the law. And what's put over the tablets of stone? The mercy seat of God. Why? Because if God's not merciful, all flesh is wrecked. We're all guilty. We all fall short. So God placed the mercy seat. In the Greek, the word is hilasterion. The propitiation. Scripture declares that Jesus Christ has become the hilasterion, the propitiation, the substitute sacrifice for our sin. He is the mercy seat that covers what the law demands. Israel is, is staggering by the wrath of God for her disobedience. She's staggering and God is saying to her, wake up, wake up for there is one coming. There is one coming who is able to deliver. It says in verse 18, There is none to guide her among all the sons she has born. Never did, was there a child born in Israel who was able to lead them out of sin. Ever. She's never had a son who was able. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. No one that could put the hand in her hand and restore her in her relationship to God. No one. No matter how good was ever able. These two things have happened to you. So who will console you? 
devastation and destruction, famine and the sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. Your, the hope of, of every nation is the next generation, right? Well, the next generation, they're going to come on. They'll get us straight. Well, not them. The next generation. The next, how's that working out for us so far? Right? Every generation, we just continue our decline. But there was one born, the seed of the woman, who would change it all. Who could keep God's requirement. Who could put his hand in the hand of Israel and lead her the right way. There was one coming. It says they lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They're trapped. They're full of the wrath of the Lord and the rebuke of your God. These, your children, they're full of this wrath. Why? Because we are by nature children of wrath. Romans chapter 1. We are by nature guilty before a holy God. There's no one to lead us by the hand. There's no one to take us from this place. So we stand guilty before God. But then in verse 21, we discover that God is able. He is able to deliver. Therefore, hear this. You who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of His people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering the bowl of my wrath, and you shall drink it no more. Who do you give it to? Ah, give it to Jesus, who drank every drop, who took upon himself all the wrath of God for us. To, to what end? So that, so, so that we no longer have to drink the cup of wrath. We no longer have to drink the cup of staggering All we need to do is plead the name of Jesus Christ. Put our hand in His hand. Be covered. Be cleansed. Be made whole. The Israel that's a failure can become the Israel that's governed by God because of the hope of the Messiah and what He will accomplish. Verse 23, He says, So I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, Bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. The Lord says, I'm going to give it to your tormentors. You ever read the book of Revelation? That's what it looks like when the cup of the wrath of God is poured out on Christ-rejecting world. I'm going to give it to them, to those who will not bow. I will oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. The humble are those who will bow, who knows that God knows me. He knows I am afflicted. And He knows I, I was drunk, not with wine, I was drunk by the wrath of God. A guilty man before a holy God with no hope of saving myself. Yet He has defended me. He has made a way where there was no way. Just like the Red Sea. 
where there was no way to cross. Now there's a way to cross. His name is Jesus. And He is able to deliver. So He will deliver the cup of wrath from my hand and the cup of staggering away from me. And He'll give it to my enemies. But nobody has to be the one who receives it. The Bible says, Whosoever will may call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever will may look to Him, even as Romans 1 declares. Romans 1 lays out that we are by nature children of wrath because we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We suppress it. We push it down. It's been described like holding a beach ball under the water. The problem is, sooner or later, it pops up. And when it pops up, we can either recognize, you know what, I am holding on to my sin. The Bible says Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. And here is the condemnation of man. Light came to the world, but men loved the darkness rather than the light. And Isaiah... 51. He's going to develop this idea of 52 and 53 where we're coming into some pretty holy ground as we continue our study. But he's describing for us the answer to the question that Israel had. How do we become the Israel you need us to be? Well, you become that when you put your faith in my servant and you obey his words. You become that. When you put your hope in Messiah, He will set you free. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this time. We can study Your Word. Thank You for an opportunity to continue our journey through the book of Isaiah. God, I pray that You open our eyes, open our hearts to receive the truth of Your Word. That it is Your Word that is conforming me changing me by the renewing of my mind into your image that I would follow your example so Lord I pray that our hearts and minds will be focused on you that we would keep our eyes on the prize and forgetting those things which lie behind we would press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus our Lord God be glorified in this place In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.